This is the Baltimore Annapolis Psychotherapy Podcast. The information shared in this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health professional. And now, here's Laura Reagan, LCSWC, with today's episode. Hi, welcome to the Baltimore Annapolis Psychotherapy Podcast. Today I have a special guest to interview. Megan Leahy is a certified parent coach in the Washington, D.C. area. She's also a contributor to the Washington Post's On Parenting section and the parenting expert blogger for Discovery Fit and Health. Megan, I'm so pleased that you're able to be with me today. Thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having me. This is my pleasure. Yeah, it's my pleasure. Um, The reason I really wanted to ask you to be interviewed is because um, I know you write in many different areas, but I follow you in particular on Facebook and, you know, the things that you post throughout a given day are so relatable to me. And I know many others uh, who follow you on Facebook, um, knowing that you're a parent coach, you present yourself in such an approachable and down to earth way when you talk about your own struggles with parenting. And I, I, I love how you use the perspective that parenting is about managing our own emotions in the situation. It's not really about trying to control the child and get them to bend to your will. It's, it's us getting ourselves under control so that we can help them get themselves under control. Yeah. So how do the parents you work with relate to you being open about your own struggles with the challenges of parenthood? Um, Good question. The people that reach out to me who have read my Facebook post have a pretty good idea of who I am. The people that call me cold, you know, they just Google me or something like that. Are you, they can be taken aback because some people are looking for, I don't know, just not me. (laughs) (laughs) An expert to tell them what to do. Yeah. And, um, somebody more perfect sounding or, um, somebody who has more of quote unquote, the answers, Mm. which I, you know, I think a lot of people begin in this work thinking you do have some answers and the more you work, you realize you don't, Mm -hmm. that the answers reside somewhere within the parent. Yeah. And so my job is to draw that out. So for people that want to be told what to do and how to do it, they're not going to hire me. And that's cool. There's there's other people out there to work with. Uh so th- but people that are drawn to me have read my stuff and want to be with someone who and work with someone who is uh unafraid of the ugly underbelly stuff. <laughs> for whatever that means. Yeah. Yeah. Cause, um, I, I've noticed as a therapist who works with children, adults and families that it can be really hard for parents to ask for help with parenting. I think it's a shameful thing for many people to admit that they don't have all the answers. Yeah. I've spent a lot of time thinking about how weird my job is. And when I go into communities, for instance, um, I grew up in Delaware, 
And a lot of people in Delaware stay in Delaware, mm-hmm. um, which is good and bad, right? Mm-hmm. And, um, and if you leave to go to college, you, you often come back. And families are very close-knit. Um, and your aunts and your uncles and your cousins and your grandparents and your church people and your community, everybody's there. And um, when you have, uh, as we call it, your attachment village, mm. when you have your people, you don't need coaches per Good se. Point. Good point. Right. You have the people that come in and help you and advise you. You have what humans have had since they've been having babies. Right. They've always lived in community. It, that's what was safe. And only recently in our humanity have we moved away from our villages, literally and figuratively. People are extremely isolated. They are not surrounded by their people. And even if they feel like they are, they don't feel safe to uh, talk about how hard things can be. So my weird job has sprung up because there is a vacuum now. There is an absence of, uh, of wise people helping others. Mm. You know, I'm not saying anything new to anyone. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm not like, you know, creating like something amazing. I'm just helping people the way women and men and elders and wise people have helped people in communities forever. I've just happened to make a career of it. Uh, but that's my, my benefit and hopefully others benefit, but it's the, it's the cost of not having your village. And then you go into a shame cycle of why is this so hard? Why do I feel so alone? And then you know, the brain that asks itself that can't always come up with its own answers. Right. And then, and then if they're brave enough to call me, they'll say like, Oh, everybody's a mess. (laughs) (laughs) Including this person helping me. (laughs) (laughs) And we can all be a big happy mess together. (laughs) Well, it's definitely, it would feel safer to talk to someone when you're asking for help about something that's just so vulnerable to reach out and say, I don't know what to do. And I wish I had the answers, but I don't feel like I do. And I don't know who to ask in my, you know, either my tribe isn't here or I just really don't have anybody I trust enough. But to ask someone who says, yeah, I'm a parent and it's not easy and I don't have all the answers, but I can help you. I think that must be much more reassuring to people. Yeah, and, and you make a really good point, too, in that um, a lot of people are not parenting the way they were parented. Mm-hmm. So in terms of how we've raised, how we've re- reared children, there has been a very fast switch Right. So it was for a very long time that children were seen and not heard. Right. Not to be too general, generalistic about it, but, and then we, the pendulum swung and swung too far so that now children are placed above parents hierarchically Mm. in a family. And that's created problems. 
So people are struggling to find the middle way. How can I not disrespect my children as I felt disrespected growing up and yet remain the leader of my home, which is what you are meant to do as a parent? Yeah. What kids Um, need you to do. 100%. Right. And that is um, my mentor in the Neufeld Institute describes it as, you know, your native language is not what you're teaching your children. So you are learning kind of like a new love language and you're trying to do it with your children. And for a lot of people, they didn't, they don't have that. It's, um, it's a lot. Yeah. That's really a great point. So many people I work with and people I know want to be loving parents who treat their children with respect, but are also respected by their children and teach them how to get by in the world in a way that they're going to be able to become an adult who's well-adjusted for lack of a better way to describe it. But a lot of people who were raised in the sixties and seventies, they don't want to do it the way their parents did, especially if there was hitting, you know, it seems to have been just a lot more normal for people to get their kids to quote unquote obey by hitting them. Uh And um, it's not what people want to do, but they don't know what else to do. So they say, you know, I'll just never say no to my child. (laughs) Right. You know how that works out. Right. Exactly. Um, Yeah. Um, Our children, so much is based uh, in fear. They don't want their children to fear them, but then the parents end up fearing their own children. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And, um, or if the parent was hit, they're fearing themselves because they don't know how to control the reaction that, you know, the child's behavior raises in them. And they're like, I know I can't hit them, but I don't know what to do. And it's really helpless. Yeah. And it's, um, and so my work primarily is, it's theory driven. It's psycho psychoeducational. It's very theory driven in, um, it's an integrated attachment development approach. And, um, we really work on understanding how humans develop, what do they need and what are your triggers? Uh, you, if you were spanked often as a child, you're not necessarily ever going to get rid of your triggers. Mm-hmm but you can see them coming down the railroad and choose something else. So it's, it's one of those things where uh, those neurosynaptic <laughs> little railroads up in your brain are pretty deeply embedded, but your brain can reflect upon itself and make another choice. Yeah. Yeah. Creating new neural pathways. That's right. It ain't easy. But (laughs) (laughs) it's worth it. Yeah, it is. It's I mean, it feels so much better to be able to parent your children and feel good about it. And then you see the results when your kids feel good, too. Yeah. So um, along the idea of how parents can feel ashamed to reach out for help, it seems people think they're supposed to know how to do it. And if they do it wrong, ever, you know, as you mentioned, like children are supposed to be seen and not heard. I think my children are 16 and 18 now. But when 
I first had my kids, I kind of thought that the way children are supposed to act if you're a good parent is they're just kind of polite, they're quiet, they play, they never argue with each other or you, and they're just kind of happy and nice to be around and then quiet and go <laughs> take a nap and, you know, but... <laughs> I thought that was what good behavior, the behavior that good parenting created. So if your child has a temper tantrum in public mm-hmm. or screams no to you and kicks you in the grocery store, mm-hmm. you know, you feel like you're not doing it right. For sh- yeah. Do you think people are still focused on trying to portray that perfect family image with their kids? Absolutely. Um, and it feels crappy to be kicked in public. Um, (laughs) and that sucks, you know, um, and as parents were human, um, when anything public happens that immediately adds the dimension of, of shame and we feel judged, you know, it it just, whatever you're feeling, it just gets magnified when something happens in public. Cause you know, all you see is everybody else's children being good quote-unquote good, right? Right. Um, I work a lot with parents on understanding that all behavior is is a language that's Mm. that's telling us something. Uh, So I know it sounds slightly, I don't know, crazy, but um, for me, there's no misbehavior. There's just behavior I understand or behavior I don't. Yeah. Right. And one of the crappy parts is that sometimes you will not understand your children's behavior and it has nothing to do with you. Right. Right. There was a bad day at school. They have some peer stuff going on. They have some interior life going on and their bad behavior is a symptom of the release of frustration and anger and worry. And as a parent, you are the safe person. Right. Right. But to the parent, it feels like disrespect and it feels like this. And it's not to say that there isn't behavior, that uh, it, some of it is out of line. It is the parent's job to to uh, instruct and guide and discipline, um, but only within the framework of seeking to understand it. So if you are just reacting like, you know, the whack-a-mole game on the boardwalk, you are not engaged in a deeper relationship with that child. So that, you know, you can see past the tantrum or see past the frustration or the eye roll or the sassiness and see a child who is struggling or suffering or insecure or just hungry. (laughs) I mean, hello, right? Hungry, sick and tired. 90% of kids BS is hungry, sick and tired. Um, So I'm always encouraging parents to, you know... And I'm sure you know this, Laura, that I've gone in, uh, I've been hired by uh, the state sometimes to help parents uh, reunite with their babies after there's been a separation Mm. uh, due to legal issues. The baby has been taken away and put into foster care. And so the judge wants to make sure the attachment is correct Mm. or as correct as as it can be, Mm -hmm. right? Can this, is this parents like reading the signed signs of the child correctly a perfectly behaved child is a red flag to me yeah right so perfect behavior especially in young children indicates to me abuse and intimidation fear absolutely the child is motivated by deep emotions that again look to us like misbehavior but are in fact just reactions to deep emotions in them that they can't even name and if a child feels safe 
with their caregiver, they can display that. So the child who is quote unquote good is the child that I'm going to go to in a uh, social work situation mm. or even a coaching situation. That's the child I'm worried about. The good one. Yeah. Yep. The one in the family who's, who's, uh, you know, there's, a, you know, the identified child who's why the parents are calling because that child's the pain. But then the other child is working their ass off to uh, be, be so good. Keep the family together. Keep everything rolling. Oh, so true. Right. That's the child I'm interested in more. Right. Because it's, it's natural for children to let their emotions out. It's inconvenient. It sucks. <laughs> Therapist, we've all had that moment. You wake up in the middle of the night. Oh my gosh, did I do my notes? Well, you don't have to worry about that anymore when you use therapy notes. Therapy notes makes it easy to write your notes, get them done quickly, but thoroughly. My group practice has used therapy notes for six years and everyone always finds it easy to use. But the best thing is if you do need help, you can call their customer service number and a person answers the phone. And anytime I've ever had to use it, which is maybe three times in the past six years, my issue has been resolved easily with a cheerful demeanor in 15 minutes or less. So I highly recommend Therapy Notes. And don't forget, go to therapynotes.com and use promo code chat to get two free months. It's funny how we as parents feel that children should be able to control their emotions and don't act out, but we are so overwhelmed and so stressed out and angry at their behavior sometimes. We don't we think our reaction is right and theirs is wrong. Yeah. When it's really the same. It is and the same. Kids, so they don't know, you know, they need help to deal with the way they feel. And a personal source of frustration for me is that parents, especially mothers, are given tons of reading material, support, classes, you name it, in pregnancy. Oh, yeah. Okay. Now, and that is the only part that we can't F up, really, right. unless you start like freebasing. Okay. <laughs> it's done, right? Like genetically. It's all happening. Right. It's all happening. And thank God we can't get in there. <laughs> right. But parents twist themselves into pretzels to, I don't know, all you really de need to do is just like lay around and grow the baby. <laughs> and then the baby is had and the lack of understanding neurologically and developmentally to me is mind-numbing. You know, if I could get into, you know, the Department of Health and Human Resources and all this stuff, it is after the baby is born that parents could be so helped by just understanding what's normal and how a and how misleading so much information is and how um developmentally normal it is for your child to not be able to make decisions based on rational thinking because that part of their brain hasn't grown. It's there materially, but it's, it's, it's not filled in. My God, I know 40 year olds. It's not filled in. So, yeah. Um, when I explain this to parents, they're like, Oh, Oh, I get it. Oh, 
and that's not the parents' fault. I, I um, it's just hard. It's hard. Yeah, it's like um, the one thing you know as a mother is after you have the baby, you need to get back into your same clothes within a very short period of time. That's like that's what our culture tells <laughs> moms. This is sure. what you need to focus on, you know, and dressing your baby up in cute outfits and taking pictures to say, I'm one month old, I'm two months old. And, you know, how your baby doesn't cry. That's the measure of you, you're doing something right. Well, and, you know, something that Americans are obsessed with is um, the idea that we can rush development. Mm. Right. And so there certainly are studies I mean, it's no accident that children that don't that don't have access to books and early classroom and you know all these things suffer. Yeah. But people have extrapolated that data out to that we can rush development. That we can, if it, there were just some more flashcards. Oh boy. And right, that we became obsessed as a culture. We're still obsessed with giving our kids the best so that they can become the best when that's not what humans actually need right our systems will progress in their own time when the environment is good enough it doesn't the best actually hinders children's development because an important part of development is um adaptation and adaptation is running up into things you cannot change and suffering through that, mm. which is called raising a two, three, four, and five-year-old. <laughs> <laughs> but that's crucial. You have to say no all the time. It can't be skipped. And a big part of like parenting education and um, some parenting programs is constantly giving choices to children. And it's all to subvert having to say no. And that is hugely problematic. I I love choices, but for the older child, when you give little three-year-olds a choice, their brain's like, what? She said, Peggy, what? (laughs) It just puts off just saying the no. (laughs) Yeah. Say the no. Let them cry. It's it's how how the system works. Yeah. I think of it as they need to know that somebody is in charge because who's going to take care of them if they're on their own? 100%. Right. So and that insecurity um, of not feeling like your caregiver is in charge, the insecurity right, creates vulnerability, which creates panic, mm-hmm. which creates misbehavior. But it also creates that child um, always seeking to be in power. Mm hmm. And then parents label the child a brat. But what it is is insecurity that that parent can take care of them. Right. The child's saying, well, somebody's got to be in charge here and no one else is stepping up. So I guess I'm going to have to do it. That's exactly right. And and they're not equipped. Right. They're bad at the job. (laughs) (laughs) Underqualified. And then we resent them. (laughs) Right. Right. (laughs) And sometimes we say, okay, well, I guess they're in charge. Right. Or we punish them terribly. Right. Right. See, but it's all reactionary, all that. Either giving up 
or punishing them is all reactionary. Whereas, uh, you know, in my work, I seek for the parent to see the dynamic clearly. Mm. When you see the dynamic, then you can do what's needed. But without understanding what's in front of you, you're just still a slave to the child's behavior. It's just, you know. Yeah, their emotions and your emotions. Exactly. It's just exhausting. Yes. No fun. No. No. And life already is hard enough. (laughs) It really is. (laughs) Well, so that brings me to, um, I noticed on your website that you said that you don't really meet the kids when you work in parent coaching. So tell me more about how you focus your work. So parent coaching is is unique in that whatever issues are happening with the child, be it learning disabilities, um, neurological issues, uh, regular developmental problem, whatever it is, my work centers 100% in helping the parents parent that child. And because if I see the child, I have I will have an opinion, and then I will tell that parent what they should do, and that and that's good. Um, and some parents do need that, and that's fine. But my I would rather in my work help the parents find their own way mm. of coming. It's just like therapy, really, yeah. in that you ask the right questions at the right times. And you know, it's my job to understand the parent I'm working with. That brings about a light bulb in them. Like, oh, okay. Every time I leave her at night, she cries because she's little and she really is scared of the dark. And this is what I can do instead. Right. If the parent comes up with that, then I am not the savior. They fully own the relationship with the child. And that is pure confidence. Yeah. And that's what I want for my parents. I want them to know that it is within them to do this and that the struggle's normal too, right? Because when they hire an expert, they're just waiting to be told what to do once again. And I'm not going to do that, which is so annoying. (laughs) (laughs) It sounds like you're saying that you believe that the parent has the answers and you're helping them find them so they can not need to be asking you, well, what should I do now? What should I do now? Because they can know. Yes. And in the not knowing, there is also value. So when they're in the struggle, when they are, you know, we work a lot in coaching with when they are stuck, when they are upset and frustrated and angry, change is often afoot. Yeah. Right. Change is afoot. And if I saw the kids it would be far more prescriptive, right? They would just hand their parental power to me. Well, Megan, you see him. You see how he is. What do you think we should do, yeah. right? And I'm going to keep pushing the power back to them, even if they don't believe in themselves. I'm going to keep pushing it back into their laps with a lot of love and support, but back to them. Because ultimately, I don't matter. It's not me. You know, it's it's within the parents. They're the one that has the lifelong relationship with the child. 100%. And I never want to be another tip or tactic 
or strategy that fails them. Mm. There's enough of that. There's yeah, enough of that really. in the world. And that's also why I coach because a strategy that's right for one family is a disaster for another. There's never one right thing besides maybe not hitting kids yeah. and, and not shaming. Everything else is up for grabs. Well, I was thinking is, when you said that if you if you tell them what to do or you don't tell them what to do, and I was thinking that since every family is so different, every child is different, personality, interaction between the parent and the child, even in the same family, they can't necessarily use the same strategies when they're dealing with one problem a child is having or they're having. You know, each person is so different that if you just give a list of strategies, it's it's not a one-size-fits-all. No, and not only do you have the child, but then you have the parent and you learn about their family of origin. Mm-hmm. So they are having all kinds of issues. So the strategy may be great, but the parent can't get there. And so, or, or they're doing it, I don't want to say wrong, but harmfully because of something in them. And so we kind of have to unpack that a little. Or some people are extremely affectionate. Some parents are very affectionate and some parents are not. And um, But the parents that are not affectionate, though, can be very loving with their children, very interested in their children, wonderful conversationalists, right? There are other attributes. And so it's my job to recognize how that parent can connect to that child that's most authentic for them rather than just hug them more, hug the kids more, <laughs> you know, some, some parents, not that's natural. That's, that's too vulnerable for them. Yeah. Um, and I may want to shake the parent and be like, what do you mean? It's your child. But that's, <laughs> <laughs> then I'm just somebody else shaming them. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I love that. And you brought up authenticity, which is again, one of the things that really drew me to wanting to speak with you because of how authentic you are. And I noticed that you recommend Brene Brown's books on your website. I'm wondering um, what made you decide it's okay in the way you work to cut out the pretense and admit to not being perfect. And when it could be easier to just sort of pretend to be that glossy, fancy expert. I know you're an expert, but you don't play an expert role. No, I know. And it's funny because... The more I work and any kind of success my way, the more, quote unquote, expert I seem to become in the world. The more I work and the longer I work, the less expert I feel as you begin to realize how few answers we all have. Um, And I think that that part of Brene's work, it's so valuable, is, um, I mean, she's just kind of talking about what a lot of spiritual people have been talking about forever with the data behind it, right? Mm -hmm. And the importance of vulnerability for me, I was, I had the good benefit of being a pretty horrible child. Mm. I (laughs) have largely let that story go, but I didn't do well in school. I graduated from high school barely. Mm. And by the time I got to college, I I went to college to sober up, right? So most people go to college to, and then they start partying. Yeah. But I had partied so much in high school and so hard and so out of control 
that I went to college and I like purposely made <laughs> somewhat sober friends and, um, and re- had to reinvent myself. But because I was deemed a pretty big loser for a lot of my life, um, I carry very little pretense, right? So everyone loves me now and thinks I'm really smart, <laughs> right? But every but for a long time, nobody loved me and thought I was pretty dumb. So I've learned the value of how unimportant other people's views are. Mm-hmm. That all that matters is... Um, the integrity of your work and the heart that you bring to it and the intentionality. And so I also have a lot of empathy for the strugglers of the world. I have a lot of empathy for people who feel things deeply, adults and children, especially children. Um, Cause as a child who had a lot of pain behind her misbehavior, it's easy to spot when you're working in these types of fields. So I don't want to say that people who had happy childhoods can't be good therapists and coaches. (laughs) It's like the tortured artist theory, you know, (laughs) but I do think my authenticity or why people are maybe drawn to me, maybe because I come from a real place of having to fight my way to where I am and that it's still hard. Uh, and it, And it is hard for a lot of people to stay vulnerable and stay authentic and keep your, your voice real because a lot of smoke gets blown up my ass (laughs) and, (laughs) you know, I have to choose how to respond to it and accept compliments when they come and not accept more when I don't need to. Um, And, but it helps me. I don't regret anything because I feel called to help kids who are struggling and especially their parents because it can, it can be a life changer. I really respect you sharing that the way your journey went, because I think it's so common. This is uh Brene Brown's new book, rising strong. The, the subject of it is how we try to, turn our backs on our story. You know, if you have a story that you're not really proud of, or it was hard for you at one point, and you just would like to kind of forget about that and let everybody just see, but look how great I'm doing now. And she talks about how the struggle to get from where you, what you went through, how you coped, and how you came to be where you are now in your life. The struggle is, that's the work. And, you know, in our culture, we tend to go like, look at this person who grew up poor and now they're in the NFL and they're a big star. It's a great success story. It's like, but what was it like? Like, that's the real work to talk about. Like, how did they do it? Because then when the person fails in some way, they get in legal trouble or they lose their career and everyone's like, well, see, you know, he was... He had that bad upbringing and, you know, he couldn't make it. And it's like, what support did he ever have to actually work through what he went through? You know what I'm saying? Oh, 100%. And how we put people in camps of good or bad. Mm-hmm. And um, and how you just really nicely said right there that getting through that struggle, that's what actually matters. And that's that's what I really try and talk to parents about. Right. Mm -hmm. Because they'll say to me, I'm just 
I'm trying to get my child back. I know that technology has kidnapped them and I'm trying to get them back and I'm doing what we talked about, but it's so hard. They're fighting me and, and things are good, but then they're bad. And, and, you know, and I just keep saying, yes, the struggle can become too hard, right? It, it can become its own problem, right? Yeah. yeah. But I said, no, that this is, this change is, is earned here. Like this is, you're not going to flip something, flip the script on your kid and it's going to be like, oh, cool. <laughs> right. It's like, this is where the magic happens. This, this is parenting. Yeah. This is living. Right. And um, ironically, I was so defended growing up. I was so defended. Right. And so um, unemotional. Mm. Uh, and so finally, you know, I went to therapy to let all my emotions out. And then what happens, you know, years and years later, I become a Washington Post columnist and I get hate mail like you can't even believe. Oh, God. And I've had to like, as Brene would say, you know, reach back into the closet for my armor. Yeah. And, and put it back on at certain times. It's its own balance. Um, as soon as you put yourself out there, there are plenty of people who want to tear oh, you down. Oh, I mean, they really have time on their hands. Yeah. I wish I had time to write hate letters like they do. <laughs> It's like maybe use your powers letters. for good, people. Oh, jeez. <laughs> so, but I mean, yeah, what you're saying is really interesting, and I think I'm sure you you see it in your work. I see it in mine. This idea that struggle is bad, or that that life should be easy, the kids should be good, that marriage marriage should be problem free, that my child is normal, so why aren't they potty training? That you know. Our expectations, right, keep getting in the way of our actual lives. And uh, the lack of openness we're just can be so black and white, which um, is the sign of immaturity. Black and white thinking is a sign of immaturity. Right. Right. And I catch it in myself all the time. I'll be like, okay, I'm getting immature about this. <laughs> <laughs> What's going on with me? Constantly checking in. That's the, that's the key. I think in parenting too, like, okay, why am I reacting to this right now? What is this about? Because if your child screamed at you at home, you might be able to just ignore it or whatever, walk away. But if it happens in the grocery store, you're like, everyone thinks I'm a bad parent, you know, I'm a failure. It's whatever is triggering in us at any given point. I think that's what life is all about just all the time. What am I feeling? What's happening right now? Yes. Yes, and simply that act, it's so profound, but the act of being able to reflect on your own thoughts and feelings, even for a minute, means you stand a chance at not being a slave to them, but it's a true practice. Everyone's like, well, I can't do that. You know, you're not, some people are better at it than others, but it, it's a practice. Yeah. It's a true practice. Yeah, it takes practice and it's a practice. Yeah. You have to. Yeah make it work. So, um, before we run out of time, I need to ask you about how do you work with parents? How do you offer your services? Are they mostly virtual? Yeah. So all my work is via Skype. When possible, I bully my parents into (laughs) the Skype where we can see each other because it means a lot to me to see people's faces, but that enables me to work with people all over the world which is really fun. But occasionally, you know, it has to be phone. 
So that's the coaching. I have an on-demand class that's going to be beginning in the next month, um, which means that people will be able to take a, a course that runs on its own. It's It'll be 11 days and they can start it up whenever they want. And that's been a labor of love for me for many years. So that'll be fun. Yeah, the rest is writing into the Washington Post live chat every other Wednesday. And then I get those questions and I turn them into post columns. So if people wanted to work with you, they find you through your website? Right. Uh, I'm actually about to redo my website, but there's a button there now that says I'm ready for coaching. And everybody gets a free 20-minute consult to see, you know, we have to mesh. Like sometimes I talk to people and I'm like, you know what? I know a better coach for you. You know, I'm not for everyone. I'm definitely not for everyone. (laughs) But, um, so a personal decision. It's like therapy in that, you know, if you don't click with the person, it's not going to be successful. So that's really important. It's really important. And I can be a lot for people. (laughs) Um, so with certain people, I have other coaches. Because my my only goal is that they get helped. So if that's through me, awesome. But if it's through somebody else, that's awesome too. All around, it's awesome. Totally. Totally. (laughs) Totally. Totally awesome. (laughs) There's one more question I want to ask you about, um, if you have time. Sure. How do you incorporate self-care into your busy life with three kids and all of this writing and coaching? Poorly. <laughs> Poorly. <laughs> Me too. Um, no, I know. asked. I hope you had some ideas. <laughs> I, yeah, I do. I do. Um, you know, what I teach my clients that um, without self-care, nothing else will work. It doesn't matter if they understand the theories of development and everything. If they cannot put themselves on the list. Right. Mm -hmm. So that's when I'm super sick of my kids, you know, taking jabs at my husband, feeling overwhelmed. It's a self-care issue. And so how do I tell? I do a lot of yoga. I do Zen Buddhist meditation. I just try and move my body. You know, in your early 20s, you're like, I run. I bike. I Now I'm like, I just need to move my ass <laughs> in whatever way. I spend a lot of time outdoors. I have an app on my, on my computer called Self Control, oh. and it doesn't allow any social media. Oh, I need that. So you can't access it, and you set it for a certain amount of time. I'm getting that as soon as we finish this interview. It's amazing. It allows you to write and work and like live like a normal person. Like, remember the 80s? Um <laughs> Although we didn't, weren't typing, but I surround myself with really good people. Mm. So like my friends are super tight for me and I surround myself a lot of different types of people, but my friends are very important. And I, uh, I, I have a date night with my husband every week, which is a big sacrifice kind of financially and time wise, but it's the only way. It's the only way. So there's lots of self-care, lots of things, lots of ways to put Humpty Dumpty back together again. <laughs> And I also watch a lot of TV shows on Bravo. Ah. Junk. I love junk TV. The <laughs> junkier, the better. Right. The Bachelorette is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I really think they're going to find love. <laughs> oh. Everyone who watches that show thinks that. I know. I love it. <laughs> I love it. It's my favorite. And I watch a lot of comedy. A lot. That's a good and- comedy is a good way to pull yourself out of anything. Totally. 
totally. And it's easy to find online. And um, I spend an inordinate amount of time watching and seeing funny things. I go to a lot of comedy shows. Mm. I'm going to three concerts this week. Three One of them concerts being the- this week. Well, I'm going to go see Brene. Oh, I'll be there too. Okay, good. We'll have to somehow find see each other. You there. <laughs> I'm seeing Madonna on Ooh. Saturday. Wow. I'm seeing Kelly Clarkson Sunday. Oh my gosh. And then next week I'm seeing Casey Musgraves. Goodness. I see a lot of music. I see a lot of music. You know, I'm glad you mentioned that because being outdoors and going for me, going to concerts is can be like a spiritual practice. It it takes me away from the everyday and into just a joyful place that it's pretty hard to access any other way. Yeah, I don't at that level. You know, I know that our parents were like smoking and drinking highballs and doing whatever, right? <laughs> but so many parents have gone the other direction of becoming eunuched in their fun. Mm. You know, it's just I ask every parent, what do you do for fun? And there's just nothing. Everything, everything is a grind. Yeah. Work, household, children. And I'm like, listen, no, like it is okay that I tell my kids, mommy's going to a concert tonight, Brene Brown another night, and Madonna the next night. Help me pick out my outfits because they see me loving life and being happy and excited. And this is who I am. And having a life that's apart from just your role as their mother. 100%. Yeah. And I want them to grow up to go to concerts and love things and art and people and dance and be silly, not be reckless and dangerous, but have fun. So, um, yeah, no, it's luckily I probably just because I was so bad. <laughs> I never let any of that part of me go. There are I'm still no so bad, bad children. <laughs> there are no bad children. That's what you need to remember. <laughs> Once after me, then there were no bad. <laughs> Aww. No, I was good. No, it was good. <laughs> well, so, yeah, I, I like to have a lot of fun. I think I love the way you describe, you know, trying to have, I don't know if you would call it a balance, but adding in time for fun. It's so important. Yeah. And if I can make a last point, yeah. um, I always say, you know, because the biggest metaphor is, you know, fill up your own cup so you can give to others and that, that, right. For your Mm -hmm. children, you can't give what you don't have. And there's a part of me that bristles at that metaphor because I always say to my parents, take care of yourself because you're, you're worth it in and of yourself. It doesn't need to be another mechanism by which you need to give more. Do it because you're alive and you have interests and you have the right to go laugh and have fun. You don't have to do it for one more reason to take care of your kids. Like 90% of the time, the kids are fine. <laughs> the kids yeah. could be stood to be left alone a little more. <laughs> you know? Yeah, that's a great point because it's not just filling up your container so that you have more to give to other people. It's filling it up because your container is part of you. You deserve to have that fulfillment. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And especially, I don't know, for women and moms, that message of fill it up so you can give to others. Well, 
your children are eventually going to leave the house, God willing. Right. So fill it up, like you said, because you have a container. Simply because you're alive. Go have fun. Like you've earned it. It's your birthright. Go laugh. Yeah. Humans are born to be able to handle that. Our kids can handle us having fun. (laughs) And you would want your kids to feel that way about themselves. So why is it so hard for us to say, I deserve to have fun and be happy and love myself and feel joy? You wouldn't ever want your child to say, I don't deserve to love myself and feel joy. I only can take care of other people. You would be like, oh, no, 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 that's so wrong. But then we're very conditioned to go ahead and think that about ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and everyone knows this, that the children don't listen to the messages. They they see what they see. Mm -hmm. So you can talk all day, but it's hard. I coach parents that, uh, the hierarchy of things is you, your marriage, then your kids. Yeah. They're like, that's not cool. I'm like, yeah, so, but that's how it works. <laughs> that's true. I agree with you because you're going to take care of your kids. But if you're not taking care of yourself and your marriage or your relationship isn't healthy, the kids will suffer anyway. Oh, tr- tremendously, tremendously. So for the last thing, I know we went on longer than I told you that we would, but I've really enjoyed this conversation, but will you please share your website and I'll be sure to put it in the notes for this episode. Sure. At positivelyparenting.com. Awesome. Anybody who wants to check out your online program and, or your coaching can find you there. Thank you so much for being with me on this podcast today. I really, really enjoyed our conversation. Thank you. This has been my pleasure at all. Me too. (laughs) Thanks. Thank you for listening to the Baltimore Annapolis Psychotherapy Podcast with Laura Reagan, LCSWC. For more, visit Laura's website, www.lauraregan.lcswc.com.